friends. Here joining us today is we have Eric Fernandez, a financial advisor here locally in Flagstaff. Thanks for joining us for around, this is actually your like third appearance. It's, I'd say it's two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah, because uh, the last one, Renee was on there, and you kind of brought me in as the dessert for the for the full meal. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> little guest correspondent situation there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, we're, you know, you and I were just chatting. Um, economically speaking, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of economic awareness going on. Yes. Because there's a lot of economic concern. There's a lot of headlines going on. I thought it'd be fun to just jump right in headlong today and and translate a lot of that, right? Because I think that's the hard part is a lot of people hear, you know, this is happening or this happened. Uh, uh, you know, GDP today, I haven't even seen that meme. Um, I actually haven't looked at it yet either. We should came straight live, here. right? <laughs> um, and so by the time this post is like GDP and then like tomorrow is PCE and, yeah. and all these different things that people, you don't learn this in school. And, but so there's like all these big things that are kind of happening and the, what the Fed's doing with the funds rate and inflation and all these different things. And then there's when someone goes to a grocery store and someone goes to the gas pump, when someone's concerned about their, uh, their employment viability. Right. Right. And so I think there's, there's value to trying to connect those or, or, you know, people making real estate decisions, people making financial investment decisions. Um, like you deal with me all the time where I'm like, right. you know, I hear that this is happening, but then I got to talk to Eric to know like, well, you know, that's the world I don't even live in. Does this mean we don't invest? Does this mean we buy stocks? Does this mean we buy bonds? Does this mean we buy, you know, what type of diversified fund do we need to be in to either, you know, protect against risk versus, um, being in a position to maybe make some gains. Right. And, uh, so well, let's let's take a step back. <laughs> let's take a step back. That was a, a lot there. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you know, we we joked at the beginning a little bit that this is the technically third time I've been on the show with you. Yeah. And let's think about the themes over these past twelve months, and how there's still relevance in the conversation we're having right now. Relevance around what do these headlines mean? What does this economic data mean? How does this affect me? Well, it's, it's no coincidence that we're having the same conversation because this is a conversation that people will be having in perpetuity. It yeah. never changes. It never changes. There's always something that we now need to dissect as far as information is concerned. How does this affect me? What does this mean for the economy? What does this mean for markets? And, and when we go through some of these today, what I think will be interesting is it, there's a foundational principle that you always can fall back on which is that markets go through cycles, the economy goes through cycles, unknowns happen in life, yet we have never failed. We have truly never failed, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Well, and, and that's the heart, well, and my mind goes to when we talk about cycles, is it's pretty wild that history repeats itself in, to a large extent. And now there's always a little bit of difference, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting where there's so many talking heads about this that will nitpick or grab this or that, or say how this is going to be different or hard. Now they'll say, take a cycle. Like a lot of people take in, you know, not to tangent too far onto things, but they'll take like the 0608 real estate bust yeah. and think like economically speaking, that's the cycle that we're in and we're mirroring. It's like, okay. 
That was an abnormal event, a well, very abnormal well, event. Yeah, and so you, you take, so just as just a quick dissection, you say, okay, yes, we do have rapidly rising house prices. Yes, we had like a, lo- a long cycle of bidding wars behind us. Um, but no, we don't have terrible underwritten mortgages. No, we don't have no income stated asset mortgages. No, we don't have um, a foreclosure epidemic. You know, well, it, aren't the, the credit ratings of the loans that are getting approved that have been getting approved ever since 2020, aren't they the highest credit ratings historically? Yep. When we look at a mortgage yeah. risk basis um, that we we see that the credit standards are the tightest that they've been in the last 40 years. The last 10 years have been maintained at tighter than the last 40 years. Right. And so that's that's one factor. And then another factor as well. You know, we talk about foreclosure. And not that this is this is about we want to get into Eric's expertise, but you talk about foreclosure and you are seeing all these headlines of like, ah, oh, they're on the rise, they're on the rise. But what happens after a foreclosure moratorium? <laughs> you know, like when it was illegal to foreclose, because everyone right. could do a COVID forbearance um during the pandemic years. And uh and so yeah, you're gonna see a rise and you're gonna right. see a large rise like numerically speaking, right? It's like double from the pandemic years. Right, so like, right. Yeah, but if we look at if we look at a large like even a five year trend, they are on a sharp decline. And that's the that's the whole point, right? You gotta look at those trends on a longer time horizon. Yeah. We live in the present, right? Um we are in this world of instant gratification with everything that we do. Our our attention spans have shortened as a population and we all have recency bias. So with recency bias, we are thinking to ourselves, man, this has been a really long period of high inflation. It's been, what, two years? Maybe three? Let's take a look at the 80s, how long inflation stuck around then. And then there was a lot of fear that we would repeat the mistakes that we made in the 80s when combating inflation. Well, we do learn from our mistakes. Yes, the Federal Reserve has been very, very aggressive, more aggressive than we've seen in our lifetime. But then if you take all of this data... And again, take a step back from it, using mortgage rates as an example, where mortgage rates are at right now, is it anywhere close to what they got to in the 80s? No. Exactly. If we look at unemployment, unemployment is at historical lows. It's below the average, right? If we look at, if we look at all these data points singularly and then take, take that step back, look at it on a broader scale, Yes, it may seem a little doomsday today because of what we're used to in the re- in the in the prior years with our recency bias. But again, it's not it's not detracting from normal trends, normal cycles. But, and I see, I I think I see a lot of value of that is if we can if if this was five or ten years from now, perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and I know we get into these cycle like we think through these cycles, and sometimes our, our lives is day to day, week to week, month to month. Our you know, personal and financial goals and, you know, and, and folks right now are like hyper-focused on how they're going to put that, uh, you know, Christmas underneath the tree, right from Santa. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's this, that's that 30-day cycle, right? They, they make decisions financially or they will. And the majority of people um, making decisions like in a 30-day cycle, I think based on like paycheck and everything, it's like, I think we have to be able to I think there's a lot of value to be able to step outside of that as much as we can. Right. Right. Well, um, we're trained to work on 30 day cycles. That's yeah. how society trained us. Our bills come due every 30 days. Yeah. Right. And so, so let's kind of, let's dig into it. So I, I want to dive into kind of some big topics, headlines and get, uh, you know, I'm full disclaimer, everybody, this is, you know, we're not like uh, master economists here, but talking through these things from our professional standpoint, how these impact then 
the investment market, the housing market. So let's talk the Fed. Yeah. They've been on the headlines a ton. And so maybe give us give us the the 101 fifth grade level version of what's happened in the last 12 months and what's kind of ahead here. You know what's funny with the Fed? Uh, before I jump into that, I guarantee you that there are so many more people in the in the world who actually know what the Fed is now, who had no clue what the what the Fed actually yeah. did prior to that because it's been in our face, right? Yep. So the the Fed uh, controls fiscal policy, monetary policy. Uh, the Fed is responsible for, or what they've been responsible for over these past two years is cooling off inflation, just like how the Fed was responsible in 2020 when the economy shut down to stimulate it. Um, and the way that they do that is through two main mechanisms. One is interest rates, which is what we have been seeing, and then what's called quantitative tightening or easing. With quantitative tightening or easing, not to get too involved in it, it's basically the buying or selling of securities. So if the Federal Reserve is buying assets off of the market, that will stimulate the market. If they're selling assets back into the market, that will cool off the market. With uh, interest rates, the idea behind interest rates is to slow the economy down. Now, an economy that slows down, that can, that can reverse the economy into a recession. That is what the Fed has historically done in the past. That's what they've avoided this go-around so far. Um, but the point of slowing an economy down, making things like borrowing with a mortgage a little harder for people to do, uh, making rates on, um, on credit cards higher, interest rates on credit cards higher, just making, making the interest on debt more expensive, it makes spending more expensive, which then cools off spending. There's less cash flow, easy cash flow. So it's, it's a double-edged sword because what we've been experiencing is the difficulty around these higher rates. Folks who wanted to buy a house and now all of a sudden the mortgage rates have priced them out. But the counter to that is that is what is bringing inflation down, bringing inflation down to about a little over 3% where it is today compared to over 9% last year, and ultimately the Fed's target of 2%. So it's, it's almost one of those things where you just have to bite the bullet in the moment because it's really hard when those interest rates are higher. But the, the alternative to that is runaway inflation, which would be way worse because then that just makes our ability to, to have buying power much harder on, in the long run. So, yeah. and they play a delicate role. Like I was, I was talking with, uh, I was talking with a, a real estate partner yesterday, and they were like, "Hey, so and so said the Fed uh, committed to do X, Y, Z as far as like they they're gonna lower or raise or whatever." I was like, "The Fed has like been so careful to make any type of head move, right?" Um, because I think that's important for people to understand the action reaction, right? Inflation is cost of goods going up, right? And so if the Fed gives a head fit or yeah, gives like kind of a, some strong signaling to the market too early that, hey, all is well and inflation that you know, markets get confidence, people start buying, buying, you know, increase, you know, there's more demand in the markets and then prices don't continue to go down or even, you know, worst case scenario. And that's what they're really concerned about is actually prices go up because they, you know, they, they were too optimistic too soon. Which is what happened in the 80s. Which is what happened yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Then, then that's, that's the cat and mouse game they play. There's what they, and that's, that's why, you know, I, I see this and it just is crazy to watch this play out is there's what happens, right? Do they move the funds up, friends rate up? Do they move the funds rate, you know, down or whatever? There's what they say about what they're going to do next. And then there's 
how the market interprets that. Right. And that's the, at least in my opinion, tell me, tell me how you see this too, is there's these three layers that people aren't getting to kind of understand that, yes, if the Fed moves their funds rate up, right? If they were to do that like one more time, right? Um, it seems seems like they're cooling right now. Yeah, we're, right? We're, we're, hopeful. we're hopeful. We're hopeful. We're hopeful. But for if the they boss. moved, yeah. if, even if they move that up, and people are like, "Oh no," you know, that means that they're still worried. But they have commentary that they're optimistic. Yeah. You know, even the slightest phrases are interpreted. Well, they're, in they're all about reading between the lines oh, too. Yeah. Like, Jerome Powell, man, you you just irritate me. Like, just say it how it is. You know, he's all about reading between the lines, and yeah. that's where that market interpretation comes from. And then, yeah, and then you have the market interpretation that certain markets might say this is great for us or this is bad for us. And then, so, you know, you got to have these three different pieces line up and, and until we get, and that's where I think ultimately, at least just really quick commentary on mortgage rates is that the unknown is what is killing rates right now, right? right? As soon as we get into some level of predictability on what the next, you know, six months hold, we're going to see a lot of calm happen there. Calm is good. Right. Calm is lower. And that's that's the thing. I, I, I believe this is the same in the mortgage world. It's certainly relevant in my world, but markets are always forward-looking, so that, that term interpretation. Yep. Um, and if there's a shift in what that interpretation is, if that interpretation has to change, that's where you can see a knee-jerk reaction. Yep. That's where someone might or no fault of their own, but probably unreasonably have a doomsday feeling when they yeah. see a knee-jerk reaction in the market. But if you even look at the third quarter of this year when the market corrected itself, uh, that was not a doomsday scenario. The market came back up. Markets on average, at least my markets on average, over a 12-month period will have a negative 14% decline regardless of what the cycle is. So when that happens and people think, oh, this is happening because of XYZ event, Again, taking a step back, recognizing, no, this is actually a normal market trend. An event may trigger that, but it's a normal trend that markets go through. Yeah. So so digging into then your area of expertise, so the Fed, how is that playing? How has that played out in markets right now? Like what equities have, have been hit by that or concerned by that and or asset positions and what's likely to play out then over like as much as you can guess, like into the first or second quarter next year? So um, I won't go into asset positioning because that might qualify as advice, which I cannot do here. Fair enough. Uh, but as far as how the markets have reacted to the Fed, uh, they they were negative last year in 2022. That was as the Fed was continuing to tighten and increase rates. And a lot of that was the markets trying to price in and interpret where things were headed. Uh, they've been positive this year because we have been able to price in the rate cuts that are expected next year. And then most recently, um, the week before Thanksgiving and then over Thanksgiving, markets had a real healthy pop. And that is because of what we were just talking about. It looks like there is conviction that the Fed is on a pause and that rate cut might, the first rate cut might be moved a little earlier in 2024 than expected. The reason markets, the stock market specifically reacts to the Federal Reserve the way it does and has adverse reactions when rates are going up is because if you think about buying a security on the stock market, Let's just pick any random security. It could be XYZ company. It doesn't matter what it is. But you are buying an asset with the understanding that that asset will either provide income or appreciate for you, much like a house, right? Yep. So the price of a stock is partly based off of forward earnings for that stock. Now, if we have rates going up 
which is going to uh, tighten the margins for a business. It's going to make the business uh, the business debt more expensive, harder for the business to invest in innovation and growth, um, and just change those margins on profits for the business. That will have an adverse effect on the stock price because now the forward earnings for that business has been cut down. That is why we see it specifically in the technology sector. The tech sector is probably one of the more interest rate sensitive sectors in the market because tech companies tend to be capital appreciation companies that are investing in growth more more heavily than other types of companies. Gotcha. Okay. So is as far as the outlook for the first you know, first quarter or two, like generally then not getting specific in the aspect positioning. Is it optimistic? I would say for so. For markets in yeah. general? I always use the word cautiously optimistic. Kind of covers my behind a little bit. But because you always have to be cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Uh, one of the risks that we have as investors, regardless of where we're investing our money, is unknown risk. We could not predict Hurricane Katrina. We could not predict 9-11. We could certainly not predict COVID. So barring any unknown risks, uh, and, you know, quick caveat to that, we did move through those unknown risks unscathed, right? But barring any unknown risk, we are optimistic about 2024. Uh, because we have these rate cuts coming, it, it will make cash flow a little easier, consumer spending easier, which is a huge driver of our economy. Um, do I think it will be a banner year? It's, it's hard to say. Uh, we came into 2023 with the expectation that we'd finish the year with about single-digit returns. And if you are well-risk diversified, that is what you're about. Lo- what you're looking at right now. Um, so I think we could see a continued steady flow. I, I feel like what our future looks like is modest growth in both the economy and the markets as these rates continue to come down and we have so- and we create some stability. And then once rates do hit their floor, once inflation is fully under control, it's no longer something we're talking about. That's where we could start to see some of that higher growth again. And and all within that, so one other big hit word, right? That news uh, media, I love to put out there, right? This is like a very emotional word as it means. Uh, Unfortunately, I think it has a lot of connotation that the general public really don't um, fully wrap their heads around what this means. It's just a scary word, recession. I knew you were going to say it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, why why are people so scared of it? It's because of that recency bias. Look Correct. at our last two recessions, COVID and the housing crisis. So. And even even within that, yeah, I don't know if how many people actually acknowledge that the well, it was the COVID recessions. Like again, now that that's, I think it's fascinating how we have that hindsight twenty twenty ability mm-hmm. on. I know it, there was this like very, very split feel to it, right? Of like, yeah, certain jobs and areas are were, were getting just destroyed uh, in large part because of policy, mm-hmm. right? Um, outside of their control. Whereas other industries, like, they couldn't make bicycles fast enough. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone's going outside, everyone's buying bicycles. I know the bicycle companies are, I have talked to certain people that were in the industry that's like, oh, everyone overprojected. They were thinking like, <laughs> Now everyone needs five bicycles, right? Well, there's a stationary bike sitting in my garage that we got that year that I, uh, my wife was using it all the time in 2020. Yeah. Uh, that thing is collecting dust now, though. You know, <laughs> so it, it, they're they're you know very very nuanced to the very specific circumstances of that time. Um, certain people, and I don't want to be insensitive when I say it this way, because and that's the hard part is I think recessions truly can be personally. 
devastating, mm-hmm. right? If people haven't prepared and you lose a job in, um, you know, in the healthcare sector, or I think we had a lot of like blue collar um, frontline worker issues, right? Based on the pandemic issues that then, you know, that, that individual, if they don't have a huge amount of savings or they have to now retool to re-engage in the economy and, and create income, that, you know, recessions can be devastating. And so right. that's, that's the hard part too, where I think there is a lot of fear reaction. But um, the, the concern that I always bring up with you too is that, um, again, talking about cycles is in the 70s, in the 90s, when we came off of high inflation, we both times did hit recessions. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fed does not have a very good track record of a soft landing, which this term that they keep throwing out there of like soft landing, which is, you know, again, that Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold. Right. If we're coming to that juncture in the world of Eric Fernandez here, so again, you know, everyone listening, like these are speculations that like much, much brighter minds, no offense, Eric, like much, much brighter minds are trying to speculate on right now of like, you know, um, did we, did they overdo it? Right. What do you think? What's Eric's pr- uh, perspective? So I think I'm asking two questions and specifically, you know, has the Fed overdone it? And if they did, you know, do you believe that we'll see some, economic slowdown, some recession, right? And what does that mean for the general public? So three questions. Yeah, you might have to remind me all three. Yeah, yeah, you're good. uh, Through my research and in solely my opinion, right, I'm going to stress that this is just my opinion. I think the Fed did run a little too hot. I think they uh, bit off more than they could chew, but I also think there was some intent behind that because they told us from the beginning we were going to overshoot these rates before we bring them back down. Uh, they are in a position now if they really do go through this pause where they are going to assess the damage they did because there is a lot of lag effects of this damage. And what that could create for 2024 is a recession. But when using this scary word recession, uh, we're looking at it as a mild recession. So the analogy I use is that you don't really hurt yourself if you're falling out a first floor window. And that's what we're looking at with this type of a recession. And it would be built around just the lag effects of these higher rates. Yeah. Um, What does that mean for markets, though? This is where it gets really interesting, specifically in my world. And let's use 2020 as an example. When we went into a recession uh, or when the economy shut down, what did the Federal Reserve do? Federal Reserve... Well, it took a while to <laughs> acknowledge <laughs> things, but so it reset exactly. In, in the moment, in the moment yeah. when the economy shut down, yeah. I, I remember I, I was... Uh, oh, they started printing money. Yeah, they right? started stimulating. They started stimulating right out the gate to a massive amount. Correct. And we won't go into the details of how much they stimulated, but just that action of stimulation. Uh, part of that was zeroing out interest rates, Right. So if we do go into a recession, then the Fed will have to start stimulating again. And what happened in 2020? All of this stimulus happened and the market went up. What happened in 2008? Same thing. All of the stimulus happened and the market went up. Markets tend to recover during recessions. Markets feel recessions before the recession hits the economy and recover from recessions before the economy recovers from the recession. So in my world, there's opportunity there. It's funny because there's a double-edged sword with investing. It's either opportunity or profits. When markets are down, hey, sorry, you're not getting your profits, but you're you're finding more opportunity to invest in a cheap market. When markets are up, congratulations, you're getting your profits, you're sowing your seeds of wealth, but the opportunity is a little bit smaller because things are a little more expensive. So with this 
potential, I'm not going to say probable, but with this potential recession in 2024, Again, we're not looking at, at something that would be very devastating and scary. I'm not going to discount that there might be there might be some some hardship that affects uh, certain folks within within our country. But from an investing in a market perspective, it's, it's not. It doesn't look like it's going to do anything that's damning for us. Yeah, there could be some knee jerk reactions there on the news of a recession. But again, similar to what we saw in September and the third quarter of this year, when we look back on it, we'll realize that was very momentary. Yeah. I don't know if this is helpful. Um, I always hesitate to bring in my analogies. <laughs> if it's like totally well, I got derailing. horrible analogies, but, but I can use them if you want. But, you know, it, it, I can't help but think about, like, if you were, and let's make it a parent versus, like, a driving instructor. If you were the parent of the child that's driving down the freeway learning how to drive and you have a foot brake. <laughs> <laughs> it could be all over That's that the thing. Fed, right? And it's a matter of, and, and you brought it into a great light that I haven't really thought of before because I've been thinking like, oh man, if they miss a soft landing, like tisk tisk on the Fed, right? Right, right. But the idea is, okay, are they wanting to be the bias of we, we're going to push that brake so that we may be going just under the speed limit and working to deal with the consequences there versus we didn't push the brake enough. And now you're just going to be accelerating right again, right? Right. And uh, and and that's just as scary as it is. in that parent sitting in that hot seat is kind of the you know giving them some credit because I know they get actually there's a whole lot of yeah grief that goes at the Fed right now, and some is pretty warranted as far as you know <laughs> they caught things too late and they go too hard, and it's just you know so we'll see we'll see on a lot of that. But I think I I, I loved how you put that because uh, I think it's very simplistic and I think it's important for people to understand that um, that markets, uh, this sounds oversimplistic, but markets change and the consequences or uh, the pros and cons of those markets change. I guess if I'm trying to put this together, right, because I, I think it's so important when we come down to the real estate side of things then and the home buying market side of things that people understand you cannot, you can choose when you buy, but you can't choose the conditions of that market. Right. And you accept then the pros and cons of that market. So if you buy in this market right now, just like you're saying, like when uh, how markets shift, right now is that opportunity market. Right now you can walk into a home, think about it for a week, make a lowball offer, go back and forth with the seller, maybe get some concessions. That's the market right now. That was not the market 12, 18 months ago, right? Even even right now the concessions that we're seeing and a little more flexibility, it's increased each month that we've been still kind of stagnantly hanging out on these higher interest rates. I'll, uh, I'll give you permission to put me on the spot because (laughs) I am a Chris Hollows client, right? Yep. yep. And so what was the conversation we had last year when I came to you and said, Hey, I want to buy a new house for my family. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can recall the conversation if you can't. So I can know the general talking points, but I'm curious what, what, what was my specific talking points to you then? The talking points were, we are going to buy a house at a high interest rate. We are going to remove the competition. So basically, I was able to come in at asking price, and I was the only one there. And you and I had conversations where we created hypothetical scenarios based off of where we were forecasting the Fed rates to go. There was a one-year scenario, two-year scenario, three-year scenario. And we have an entire plan in place where now I have the luxury of being able to refinance and lower that interest rate we bought it as the rates come down on my own time yep. without being in this, without being in this competitive, uh, competitive 
situation where I'm coming to you and I'm saying, hey, no, we have to go under contract now. I don't care what, what the rates are. Let's go. No, we'll look at it and we'll say, okay, this is where rates are moving. Let's, let's have a strategic plan around that. So. How many houses um, are for selling in your neighborhood right now? On my street or in my whole neighborhood? Just your, well, street or neighborhood, yeah. I mean, I think three maybe have been for sale over the past year since we moved there. And so I think that's the biggest thing that people need to understand. I appreciate appreciate you, the, the props on that a little bit. They, you know, obviously we, we, we don't have a crystal ball and we try to do the best we can. But I think the important part of that whole conversation is to say you found in that situation was a forever home. Yeah. Right. Uh, or hopeful forever home. We'll see. We'll see. Or potential forever home. We'll see. We're, where, we're saying forever home. Yeah. And so, but to say like when you found the property that exists, and this is this is also this is fairly nationally, but ex, uh, it's exacerbated in Flagstaff in the sense of we don't have a ton of inventory. You yeah. found the house in the neighborhood at a relative price that worked, and the one thing that didn't work was or was not attractive was the interest rate environment. But no, you are smart enough to know that will change. Right. The house availability, the house price, those uh, that was more that was more the risk. Well, and it was also the you also have to look at the intent, right? I wasn't looking at this house as an investment property. I was looking at this as the house that I can envision raising my children in. Yeah. And I was looking at the the rate. And, you know, talking about recency bias, I was looking at the rate we bought it last year and thinking about the house I had refinanced with you in 2020. And I'm like, well, that that doesn't make sense. Yo, but then yeah. I had to take a step back somewhat with your coaching. And we were looking at, and no, this is actually a historically average rate that we bought it last year. If you look at it and what's the opportunity here, yeah. you can afford this mortgage, even though you don't want to. Yeah. And you will have the house and then that mortgage will be lower in the future. Yeah. So. And, and the, the, just as you had brought that in and talking about markets, it's just so important, I think, for then people to understand and to try and see both sides of that coin to say, oh, if house prices are coming down and you're thinking, yes, let's buy, you, you then are believing that they're going to just turn around the day after you buy right, and, and right. go back up, right? And so it's like, okay, you might find more opportunity, but you are taking risk because you know, is, is that asset just going to turn right back around? Or if you're buying in a market where r prices are rapidly moving up, just like when, you know, in a, in a good market where there's less opportunity and buys out there, but you are making profit, right? It's right. a matter of saying, hey, you're going to buy in the market and that's great. And, and hopefully, you know, there's enough opportunity that you can actually even get in and you're going to compete. And, you know, because this isn't like the stock market where there's lots of availability of funds, right? <laughs> it's a matter of that house exists or it doesn't, yeah. right? Or there's five people in line because they like the location or there's 10, Right. And so I, I just I, I am you know, I'm not trying to be the. Um, um, yeah, I think the, 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 the big takeaway that I'm trying to go to now is just really outside of really predicting too much of what we could see around the corner here. I think these will mirror each other fairly closely. Right. Um, I think that um, I would agree with you and very much hope that people understand that that um, the similarities that right now is an opportunity market in both of our spheres. Yeah. And that could shift potentially fairly quickly in 2024. Well, let's let's look at the marriage of the real estate market and the stock market. Yeah. I've used that word a lot. Um, I think I've mentioned with you one time that a lot of people think that we're competing markets. We're not competing markets. We're, <laughs> we're a diversification <laughs> opportunity markets, right? Yeah. But with, with houses specifically, and this is something that you've actually helped coach me on because I live in my world, you live in your world, and that's why I love that we collaborate. But with, with real estate specifically, if you look at it on a long-term <laughs> historical time frame, it does the exact same thing the stock market does. 
And if you think about the uh, three-year whammy after the dot-com bubble bust with the stock market, where we had three negative years in a row. And then let's take a look at the housing crisis, the negative years in a row following 2008, but then how things continue to appreciate. I mean, I would love to just take a historical trend of the S&P 500 and a historical trend of home values and compare them with each other, and they're going to yeah. be doing the same thing. Yeah. So the difference with a home is this is this is has meaning to your family on a more intrinsic on a more intrinsic level. And it's hard to see people being priced out of home buying due to prices moving up, specifically here in Flagstaff. But if you are a home owner or you are an interested home buyer, despite the fact this is something that you will be physically living in, I challenge people to also remember that this is an appreciating asset that's part of your portfolio and it will go through these cycles but just like I don't stop investing in the stock market regardless of where the cycle is because I believe in the long-term trend, you shouldn't be scared of investing in real estate based off of where the cycle is because there is a long-term trend there too. Absolutely. And it's and I think that, you know, it's just so getting away from current events and headlines, I think the general, probably the same general uh, perspective exists in your world as exists in mine is don't invest in a stock that you're going to call me in a month from now and say you want to cash out of, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and don't buy a home. I would really say if you are projecting less than 24 months of ownership, let's really scratch your head and think yeah. a little bit. Because the thing about that too is that we also have, um, unlike the stock market where you can you can start investing at a relatively low barrier of entry, right? right is um, the barrier entry or some costs of like an appraisal, a home inspection, a termite report. Like, are you, you know, when we talk about certain costs of then just getting into the ownership of that asset, um, are you, you know, are, are, is the market going to appreciate quickly enough? You know, especially when we then talk about, you know, the, the cost to sell. Right. You know, are you going to, is the market going to move up fast enough, predictably enough in 24 months that, I mean, on certain estimates right now, you might break even. Like fairly conservatively, right? But, but there's still that unknown there. But right? there's an unknown there. we don't there. have the crystal ball. Yeah. 36 months from now, 48 months from now, you start to minimize that risk of, uh, of loss and increase the opportunity of gain. There is so many parallels in our world. Because <laughs> I, well, I was thinking to myself about how if a client walks into my office, they say, I need this money in 24 months. Where do you think I should invest it? I would never put it into a long-term equity for them. Yeah, we would find something that's secure for two years, right? And uh, with real estate, yeah, I love that. I love that idea. I mean, I know there's people that will go out and flip houses, fix them up, and then uh, try to sell them at a higher price. That's a whole different strategy. That might be like the day traders in my yeah. world yeah. within your yeah. world. Yeah, exactly. But I do love that idea of when you're buying real estate, and specifically if it's an investment property for real estate, that you need to be you need to be thinking big picture, long term with this. This isn't something that you're going to then be selling in two years. Yeah. So. Unless you're, you know, again, when you, when it comes to someone that is like, you know, building this into more of like an expertise, yeah, right? They're they're really paying attention to this, and they are, and along with that, not just saying these people are getting savvy in the housing market, but they are also willing to take losses and take risk. Yeah, and uh, like and a day trader. Yeah, I'm ex- telling that's you. what I'm yeah, saying. Same exactly, thing. same yeah. thing, same thing. That they're willing to say, and that's that's what's hard to. A lot of people ask me. I get this classic question: when We're watching the market for clients, and we're watching, you know, where are rates heading. And I get the question of like, "Well, if this was your loan, would you lock today?" And that's it's a very very hard question for me to answer a lot of times because then you're like, okay, you know, what's the, you know, there's so much context to not just the market, but your emotional response. What is this home for you? You know, can what's that? You know, 
and then you kind of think about the amount of money on the sidewalk, right? Right. Is like, you know, if that person saw $5 on the sidewalk, would they stop, bend over to pick it up? Maybe, is it a quarter that they'd pass up? Or well, is it- i pennies, man. Like, <laughs> I pick up But I'm just saying, like, I've, I've had some conversations <laughs> where I remember, like, I'll be, and maybe you've had these similar conversations with clients where we'll be talking for, like, you know, they, they, they're very interested. And so, and, and I love educating people. And so sometimes I do get into, um, it's not really a trap, but I get into, like, the, I start going, right? When right. I, I get excited and I start going, I'm like, well, the Fed could be doing this and the GDP's coming out this day and PCE and then what could happen and, you know, how much are we getting? And then we, we quantify it of like, okay, you know, if we get an eighth to a quarter better in the next 14 days, it's like, um, that saves you like $30 a month. And they're like, Chris, like, lock it. Just lock it. Like, $30, like, I don't, like, it could go up 30, could go down 30. They're like, lock the rate. Just be done. Like, I don't want to have you, like, you calling me or emailing me every day telling me the up but down or whatever. Right. Like, not worth my Starbucks coffee per month. Right. Um, or per week. Um, and so, yeah, so it's really interesting to, to, and that's where to give you uh, credit on the end when, when I connect with you and talk through um, financial decisions, I, I think it's very fascinating. And I, I guess, you know, some takeaways here and for folks to consider is there's protection and growth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those are in the same, at least what I've learned. So you tell me, like I've learned that sometimes those can um, have a similar strategy and sometimes those are competing strategies. And I think that's very interesting heading into a year when people are seeing a lot of, economic concern they're hearing things about the recession and certain things that to say yeah we you you can be protected and i guess it works in the real estate zone too is saying yeah you're you're not sure about real estate right now you don't want to make that bet because it doesn't feel like a sure thing so you're going to play the protection game um but that could potentially you know depending on the exact you know personal circumstances and scenario and desires whether this is a primary residence or whether this is um you know, whether this is an investment property or likewise, if someone is saying, hey, I, this is my nest egg um, or this is more like the opportunistic play money. Right. right? That uh, that it's interesting that those those strategies can uh, be at odds. What I find interesting is I'm still finding parallels, like parallels I never thought about. Yeah. Because with with this whole idea, let's um, go back to what you said. I don't know, probably like 10 minutes ago. Sure. You went on a long tangent there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> joking but uh you know where when a client says well would you do this with your money right would you take this loan with your money when people ask me that when we're coming up with strategies oftentimes i'll tell them no i wouldn't do that but that's because my strategy is completely different from yours yeah right my my strategy as an aggressive young investor is going to be way different than the client i'm working with who's in their 90s or my priorities are going to be significantly different than someone else's priorities because we have completely different lives yeah so then uh, let's circle down to protection and growth and how those might compete with each other. Well, it's not so much that they're competing with each other. It's about creating the puzzle pieces that fit within the strategy that is the appropriate one for your priorities. Now, that's relevant with real estate. That's definitely relevant with the, the markets that I work in as well. What is relevant for your priorities? So um, there, there's an idea that there's uh, four different things that you should address when coming up with a simple investment strategy. One is performance. Two, risk. Three, taxes. Four, cost. So you need to assess all of those. You do not necessarily need to create an investment strategy that's chasing performance. I would say the higher import or the more important factor is creating a strategy that diversifies risk for you and creates the performance necessary for you. And then when it comes to taxes, you certainly want to look into what 
is this certain investment strategy going to do from a taxable perspective? Because that's an additional cost. And then quite simply, what is the cost of this investment strategy? Whether that's the cost of working with the financial advisor creating that investment strategy or the cost of those investments themselves. But that all circles back to the priority within that strategy and then how we are creating a combination of protection and growth. I like it. Yeah. And to, and that, that seems some of those maybe, I guess that's maybe a little, uh, like that seems like step two or so uh, or 2.0 to a lot of folks that then have made the initial determination that they, they have the questions they want to invest, right? And so maybe as, as we work to uh, wrap here today a little bit, I'd, I'd be curious to know if someone is thinking forward, like from that very, very initial step though, baseline 2024, um, and, and as generically speaking as we can, let's maybe talk to the, to the individual that's not really super savvy investing. Maybe they have like a company 401k, maybe they really don't have anything going for them, or maybe, you know, maybe they're, they, they saw a CD rate in, in their bank when they walked in. And so they threw some money in there kind of thing, but they, they're wanting to level up financially next year. Um, could you strip it down to put you on the spot here? Totally, I, I haven't prefaced this with Eric, but to put you on the spot, what are maybe one or two questions or challenges you'd pose to that person to, to start get them thinking on the right track? And you're asking this in the sense of someone who is new to investing but is ready to invest? Yes. Or ready to invest slash they want to, they're thinking about their 2024 goals, you know, and they're like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym a little bit. I'm going to start eating a little bit better. I'm going to, you know, read with my kids. Yeah. They're wanting to make these, you know, hopefully measured changes in their life. Where do we start financially? That's a broad question. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's basic fundamentals, which uh, I shared last year when you had me here around different things you can do with money. Yeah. I don't know if you recall that. Save, spend, invest, donate, right? Yeah. So, or let it bleed out through your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon boxes. Um, gosh, I, I feel like it sounds like I'm skating around the question, but I'm not because uh, the, the first question is, what are your priorities? Yeah. It's what are, what are your priorities? That is going to be so individualized. I know within my own family, within my own family, when we make investment decisions and we are working on leveling up our family, there are priorities behind there that include my children. So there are strategies that we, are, we have implemented financially as a family that are there to protect and provide future wealth for my children. That isn't going to be relevant for everyone. Um, I also know that our priority was to diversify our portfolio into real estate. Yep. which is what you helped me accomplish last year. That might not be relevant for everyone. So, you know, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a hard answer because there isn't, there isn't a direct answer. There's an array of answers, but I think when having that conversation around what does leveling up look like for me and my family individually, what are our priorities? What kind of time frames are we working with? That's where you can start to isolate things down into a singular strategy that makes sense for you and your family. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I know I kind of put you on the spot with it is I know you have a consultative approach much like I do where yeah. when you put on the spot like that, it's like, gosh, you know, give me even five more variables and yeah. I can even start going much more uh, on a tighter track because that's the idea that we want to customize and individualize. And I, and I think that that's, 
time frame, tools, and results or potential results are, are three things that unless someone is talking to an expert, they can't, they can, they can't get tracking as nearly efficient as they could otherwise. Right. And so that's where I think a lot of folks, oh, reach out to Eric, guys. Like, reach out, <laughs> ask the question. I think you are, you are light years ahead, and not that this is a comparative majority, but you're going to be light years ahead of yourself, much, much less light years ahead of most people if you are asking the questions and being brave enough. I know we have this little society that hides behind our screens and, and our comforts and things, but brave enough to, like, ask around, connect with the professional, and, and get that diagnostic, right? Um, and there's some vulnerability, like it's not unlike, you know, I think we're, we're far more attuned to our health oftentimes that we will go into the doctor and have to be vulnerable and say, okay, what's going on and what do I need to do? Um, and a lot of people then don't see that they should be doing that financially as right. well as someone has tools and know how and understands the way the financial world works, um, much better than you. Um, and it's just a matter of, you need to engage it. It was funny about that vulnerability because yeah. their vulnerability is critical. Whether they're talking to you, talking to me, any any professional where you're planning your future. Uh, but I heard something a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. And uh, there was a study done, and no offense to any dentists that are out there, but <laughs> I'll I'll be honest with you, like my biannual yeah. cleanings are not my favorite activity. Oh, absolutely. But there was a study done, and the emotions that someone feels the first time they walk into a financial advisor's office is the same as that of a, of going to the dentist. But after that initial meeting, it completely shifts. The, the study shows that it completely shifts and people all of a sudden are looking forward to going to the financial advisor's office. And I'm not saying that as a nod to my industry, but what I, what I recognize in that is that people do walk into our office for the first time feeling vulnerable because they're about to show us what their, what their financial situation is and yep. there, there is vulnerability there. But if you are meeting with the right person and someone who can be, be an advocate for you and help strategize with you and make some of these far-fetched goals seem like there is a reality to reach them, that's where it shifts. Where now we're more like the travel agent. You're excited to come talk to us because we're taking you on a vacation. Yeah, so absolutely. And I know I felt that way with you. T- I keep crediting you and I find the <laughs> yes. parallels, but... I remember first time walking into your office when my wife and I were ready to buy our first house. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's going to see all my dirty laundry. Yeah. You know, but then yeah. through the conversations, we, we were able to create strategies. And next thing you know, my wife and I are in the house that we want to be in. Yeah. So. Well, and it's and I think it's, you know, and not to continue to plug, uh, not that we're trying to do shameless <laughs> plugs here, but to, it's like if you're t- if you're going with the right, you know, personal trainer, is he going to see like you walk in there like you're disgusting. <laughs> you disgust me. You know, like they're going to be like you showed up yeah not how, how many people like i love so i do i'll do a lot of uh like peloton yep. right and guys like just for my personal affirmations where they're like how many people got up at 6 a.m in the morning and are like kicking their own butt on the bike i'm like like no i did like, <laughs> you know and so it's just like you know like kudos for getting out kudos yeah. for showing up and uh, and i hope a lot of people do i think there's the opportunity for a lot of people that are going to show up and ask the questions. And that doesn't mean that we're predicting the answers. Are you going to be like, invest, 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 or buy real estate? Right. But, but if you're asking the questions, you're already light years ahead, and you stand to make better choices. And the bigger window you give yourself on being able to educate yourself before, you know, and take your time to educate before execution is, is the best thing ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, awesome, Eric. Well, it's good to have you on. I'll be excited. Uh, we'll have to brainstorm the topics for next round. Um, we'll always be talking sometime in the first or second quarter of 2024 and yeah. we'll see how that all shakes out. Any last words? Thank you.
You're welcome. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> this was fun. I appreciate it. Awesome. Always good to have you on. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Chris.